On today's show, we have Pei Chen, the VP and Head of Growth at IOV Labs. We're going to discuss details about the company's products, what they have achieved so far, and what to expect from them in the future. Thank you for coming on today, Pei. Thank you, Joe, for having me. Can you give our listeners at the basics what IOV Labs does and how it started? Sure. So IOV Labs is a company that was started in Argentina back in 2014. It has three main business lines. First one is RSK blockchain platform. This is the sidechain project on top of Bitcoin with EVM compatibility. It has the Riff economy pillar, which is the layer three building architecture. So it's providing infrastructure and the building building blocks for projects to build on top of RSK as well as any other layer one or layer two blockchain platforms. And the last, we have a Taringa. Taringa is a social media platform that we acquired back in a few years ago. And now it's on its path to become a Web3 social media platform. So we've been around um, for quite a few years now. And our vision is to create a very open and inclusive financial system for all the populations around the world, especially with the emphasis of bringing the blockchain technology and products to the emerging markets where underbanked and unbanked populations are. And that's basically our target users. And our mission is to do so through working with the most brilliant and advanced fintech partners that are currently in our ecosystem or outside to help them build Web3, build blockchain projects, distribute applications or other layer threes. Now, you guys have been around quite a while, right? When did you guys kind of start... Yeah, we've been around since 2014, 2015. I think the founding teams, and they were a group of technologists and businessmen, very successful entrepreneurs from Argentina. I think they got together, wanted to build something that is leveraging the Bitcoin security as a bottom layer, settlement layer, but also understand the importance of having smart contract programmability and the way to build logic and workflows on top of Bitcoin because at that point, Bitcoin was very much in the class, an asset class. You can't can do quite much with Bitcoin, but look outside, you can see, you know, Ethereum and other ecosystems are coming up with different distributed applications. And they're able to do so because of the smart contract programmability. And the origin of the RSK platform basically is to marry the Bitcoin security, a settlement layer, as well as the compatibility and the programmability that the EVM chains promises. Got it. And so, I mean, I know RSK did quite a big raise, I think, back in 2018, right? Is that correct? <laughs> when, um, funny story, yeah. So back in 2018, when we were at the point realizing that we need to provide infrastructure platforms, um, not just the blockchain platform itself, but also the tools and services that, you know, you would need as a project. So we launched Rift as a token economy. And that was the time we raised the, the majority of the capital that paved a lot of our runway for us to kind of research and take our time. Our research team took their time to really look into what's the best way to bring the full potential of RSK. And we built a lot of amazing technology and we're at the point of kind of consolidate all the technology pieces Now we're on the way to prioritize and commercialize them. I wouldn't say like commercialize is the, the focus. It's the, we're at the end of the day, a, a purpose-driven trust as a company. 
So we are thinking of what we're thinking is a sustainable way to put the technology components together and create meaningful products that can benefit the end users through our partners. Got it. So now how big is the team comprised of people today? Is that across the globe? We have just shy of 200 employees around the globe. It's a quite decentralized team with people anywhere from the U.S. I'm based in the U.S., for for example, but we have a strong team in Argentina and in uh, the U.K. as well as in other areas of uh, Europe. And also, you know, slowly building up our presence in areas like Asia and Nigeria and other parts of Africa. So maybe for our listeners, can you kind of fill in a little bit of a gap with what you guys are trying to accomplish a little bit more in detail? A lot of uh, development work, especially on Bitcoin, does take a lot of thinking and work. It's not as straightforward as launching a new layer once and then you create a native token and off you go, right? Like it's about getting more developers to, to come and build using different tools and different incentives. So I think for us, like it took us quite a bit of time to really just like sink into the technology, fundamental technology advancements. So more work around keep components like Popec and the merchant mining and other security aspects of development took some time, but also we are constantly thinking about what would be the product suite for us to leverage Riff, to leverage RSK's unique technology uh, fabric and then elements. So we, I think, you know, since I joined the company in the past, I would say six, seven months, we have developed a quite clear roadmap for the products that we're trying to bring to the markets. And with a very clear focus and a very comprehensive set of strategies. And we're currently going through the rebranding exercise, for instance, with the Rootstock. Rootstock was the original name for RSK. We realized that it's been a while and we've built some really strong products and projects out there. Sovereign Money on Chain, Tropicals, for instance. But yeah, we haven't really, I guess, doubled down on curating similar scale of projects. So we wanted to take this opportunity to, to really rally the community around us again and to determine the future of, of RSK together, basically. So I think rebranding is definitely something well underway. But also we have since hired a lot of senior and experienced product managers and senior executives in different parts of the world to really come together and figure out what would be the uniquely suitable um, products that can be built on RSK and with the RIF infrastructure. So we have a few very clear streams, including the payment suite, and there's the DeFi gateway set of thinking, but we also have the identity marketplace as well as the the wallet aspect of things. So it's all going to come out very soon. Um, We're very excited about that. So can we discuss, like break down a few of those, like in regards to the payment suite, what are going to be the benefits for the user? I think what we are looking to do with the payments products is first is how can we quickly really leverage the Bitcoin market cap? So there's a way to currently we call it pull pack or pack in pack out process. How can we make that process even faster, more secure, more at scale? So that's that's one thing we we um, we think about it. There's also the element of payment experiences. How can you provide a very seamless and very fluent user experience using a very different payment rail. Traditionally, we're dealing with, you know, currently you might use credit card a lot and you use rely on the Visa and the MasterCard payment network, right? Because you trust the security of it. But there's a 
intermediary layer there. And there is a pretty high cost, I think, to associate with doing business that way. And it's very much centralized. What we are trying to explore with this is we wanted to rely on this crypto rail, but also to create very fast, very cheap, affordable, and seamless cross-border and or domestic payment experience at a very individual level. So what would that look like? Maybe that would be related to when we we think about the, the payment products on RSK, it's going to be about how can we provide a very cheap per transaction payment experience and how can we leverage the Bitcoin if you have a balance sheet or you have a some Bitcoin, how can you use that to pay for your day-to-day utility bills or something else? Or you can just store it as an investment choice. But either way, it's, a, it's an alternative payment to what you currently have out there. And then there's also obviously the all the roll-ups and aggregation of payments, which is very blockchain-specific because, you know, the whole sort of increasing gas cost of doing transactions on Ethereum led to the promising um, projects as layer twos on Ethereum, right? The fundamental reason for that is to just provide a cheaper transaction in addition to doing it very much more cheaper compared to traditional ways. So we have, you know, a lot of the ZK roll-ups and uh, optimistic roll-ups and all different ways of of doing so. And we are doing similar uh, research where we have implementation of the ZK Sync on RSK and we have Reef Relay which is about kind of giving that flexibility of paying with different uh, different types of crypto assets and tokens for transactions happening in RSK. So that's super important. We're also looking very actively into other projects, implementations around payments, such as Lightning Networks protocols. So um, yeah, really interesting stuff there. And at the end of the day, it's also about how do you make it very easy for projects to deploy a specific application using your payment products, right? So the API uh, aspect of things and how you integrate and how you deploy with those projects is another thing we're looking at. So yeah, we need the vendors or the companies to be able to integrate seamlessly. And then we also need the users to be able to use that seamlessly, right? Exactly. So users basically don't need to know the intricacies of the backend technology, or sometimes they may don't even need to know they're using blockchain at all. And how about the privacy aspect of the transactions? The privacy of the transaction, it's um, it's an interesting thing because it really depends on which side you're, you're with. Are you, are you for more privacy for P2P transactions or for more transparency of transaction? I think depending on the audience that you're talking to, um, the most important thing to me, and I think, you know, the team would resonate is that it's important to have the optionality and the ability to kind of dial back in and and zoom in, right? Like if you design or deploy protocols that you know that there's a way to, I mean, the, the ethos here is to keep it decentralized as possible. So it should always be a community decision around the level of privacies for um, each use case, but there should be, the whole thing should be very modular and composable so that enterprises can deploy Things that were privacy of data is super important. And then there's never a case of leaking them, but there's also a way to keep it completely transparent and open from the very start. I guess, how important is it for, you know, integrations and partnerships? And how does the team kind of establish that for when you guys launch these new applications? You know, one good thing about uh, working with the RSK team is we're not extremely busy. 
right? At this point, we wanted to work with the most strongest team, the most suitable partners that we could ever find around. So we wanted to provide that very close, hands-on and unique experience working with partners, meaning that we would see them as, you know, we would explore specific use case with them in a very, very deep way. And we also wanted to be very honest with ourselves. It's like where we need to establish that partnership right away to unblock some of the key initiatives that we are looking to accomplish. So give you an example, if we wanted to really bring this technology to some of the key markets or emerging markets around the world, that means we need to have the original partnership around fiat on-off ramps. So right away, we know who we need to engage to have that strategic conversation around partnership. It's never, it's not always very straightforward about whether or not we're going to integrate our technology. Sometimes it's about, are we looking to serve the same population and are we looking to solve the same problems and then go from there? Well, whatever it would take, I think is actually a little easier than getting to getting on the same page of what we're trying to do, right? At the end of the day, by and large, I think we, we think about our partnership or partner ecosystem as that we need a few very key types of partners and we wanted to not work. We prefer not to work with too many of them, but we've worked with a few really strong partners to address, for instance, the use case around stable coins. We need to have a Bitcoin backed or collateralized stable coin. And that's how we would solve the problems around the volatility of the asset itself. And we need a very strong or a few strong partnerships around lending and borrowing and not just any lending and borrowing protocols, but you know the protocols that understand the pain points of the emerging market users at the end of the day, right? Like they may not have the collateral. So what would it be the alternatives to serve those populations? What would that lending and borrowing products look like in that context? So that's another thing that we, we work very hard every day through different ways. And then there's also, you know, you have to create a liquidity depth of market for your products, right? The, any products and protocols deployed on RSK you need to have some exchange index or aggregation of liquidity to create a secondary market for the products. So liquidity is being another thing. And we, I can give you a few more examples. Like I think wallets is super a big focus of our partnership as well. Simply being a lot of this, you know, wallets is a good way to really demonstrate your, your commitment to being decentralized and empowering individuals. And if we are able to work with a few really strong self-custody wallets and build useful features and bring them to the markets that we wanted to serve. And then I think that's a very satisfying goal. Do you feel that there's always enough resources, talent, or devs that are willing to come and participate within the Bitcoin network versus the other networks that are out there? It's a tricky question. It is a tricky question. <laughs> a little. <laughs> I think developers would go where they felt they uh, most interested and felt most belong, right? So I think it's a, I think it's a task for every ecosystem, blockchain ecosystem out there. We try our very best to attract the most talented developers. Developers are super, super important to our mission, but we don't want us don't want to hoard them, right? Like if they feel that they need to explore multiple chains at the same times and be fluent and flexible to go from ecosystem to ecosystem. I think that's a very good thing. I think we tend to attract developers who love a, a difficult challenges 
I think building on top of Bitcoin is extremely challenging and requires a lot of thoughts, not, not just technicality, but also ability to connect dots and um, link you know, Bitcoin with all the other protocols and, and ecosystems and how to think about usability of the, the platform itself. We tend to attract, I think, developers that wanted to build meaningful, non-speculative use cases and put them in, in the markets where the true users are. So I think we, we do attract that particular set of uh, developers. And, then, you know, that's, I think we're happy about that. But obviously, I think we wanted to get as many developers as possible. Forever's listening, right? There, you know, there's always a little battle that Bitcoin can't do DeFi and so forth, and you know, everyone's on the Ethereum side. So maybe for all the listeners, can you kind of give us insights on why you guys are choosing to go down that path, in which most people say it can't be done, and kind of explain the differences? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I can definitely try. I think again, going back to the the early days of the blockchain platform RSK, I think. Um, the founding team saw the, the problems that lie very specifically in areas like the countries that suffer from hyperinflation. And the very initial need was to look for alternatives to the fiat system, the fiat system that they live in, right? And I think very quickly, it became clear that Bitcoin could be one of the answers. It's not the only answer, but it's a very interesting technology and a very interesting emerging asset class. So I think the intellectual journey started there. And then the, the rest is how do you actually build a financial system on top of, of that? It doesn't have to end in Bitcoin either. But anyway, that's where the team started. And if you think about building contracts and logics, business flows, a lot of times you have to be a Turing complete protocol like Ethereum. And that's kind of how, you know, technologically that could solve the, enable the, the programmability and contractual relationships. But interesting things also that you could build out of this, we call it as a money vault versus a money, money legal approach, right? You could technically start where with a settlement uh, system like Bitcoin is very secure, but very not suitable for complicated business logic, but you can build an EVM layer on top of it, in which way can bring the possibilities of having, you know, the best of the both worlds. So that was sort of how um, the idea started. And then I think it resonated very well with the community, not just within the Bitcoin community. It was very well received by the entire blockchain community. And I think the rest is, you know, what we need to focus on today is to really build out that ecosystem getting more projects to realize the unique combination of the technology and to understand the value proposition of RSK and also to come together and, and try to contribute and make the protocol more stronger than, than before. That's awesome. And so when you guys are discussing your products that you're going to work on coming up and for the roadmap, right? I guess, how do you go out to the world and figure out what those problems are going to be and then decide which ones to work on? There was a moment where we kind of got, got together in the room and be like, why, why are we here to begin with? And it really is about to stick to your vision and your mission. I think, you know, at some point you could get carried away as a company, especially when, you know, you raise capital and you have some 
success at some level and you could continue with what's trendy and what carries momentum out there, or you could take a, a giant step back and think about why did you create this company to begin with? I'm not on the founding team by any means, but one of the reasons I, I joined the company was that I saw the, the commitment to the vision and the mission is that they really wanted to, the team really wanted it to put the capital and resources towards the, the end users, the intended end users. So I think, you know, it's very simple. It's about looking for that use case that could really benefit and drive meaningful adoption of the technology and the building infrastructure. So very quickly, I think this brings us to the concept of everyday DeFi, because we do believe that our end user is the everyday average Joe and, you know, users that really do need access to financial systems, but currently do not. So the use cases that would really be beneficial for them is some secure, simple, simple ways to do payments, peer-to-peer payments, cross-border payments, remittances, for instance. And it's about how to find a way to safely deposit their their money and realize um, some return. You know, instead of if you put it in a bank, you don't get anything back, right? Or you don't have access to banks to begin with. And it's about uh, lending or borrowing with perhaps like a different type of collateral. It's about, you know, being able to have that freedom um, over your financial situation. So maybe like different geographic locations or cultures do things obviously different all around the globe. So when you're thinking about like who you're going to target first, is there certain areas that you believe that will adopt quicker than others? If you look at the stats, it became quite clear that some of the fastest um, growing markets for, for this technology is, the, is in the developing countries. It is in the emerging markets. So for us, we have seven key markets and they're between Latin America and Southeast Asia. So that's what we are, we're starting with, right? And we also see some strong momentum in Africa, Nigeria, for instance. But um the team started in Argentina. That's a huge focus for us. And we are working with a lot of strong partners to in, engage them for discussions around things we can do in Colombia, Mexico, Venezuela. And in Asia, we are uh, looking at Indonesia, the Philippines, and uh, Vietnam. And I think they're also very strong in terms of the adoption speed and the tech savviness of, of the end users is uh, just a uh, amazing and very impressive. And so is that approach typically with the uh, governments directly in those jurisdictions? So we do have a government, a small government team that we understand the needs of, and sometimes it's really just makes sense to work with governments on some specific initiatives, especially when it comes to identity. We have a few really, really important deals um, going on. We also are thinking about, and we're realistic about the speed, you know, of doing businesses with different sectors. Uh, there's, there are pros and cons of working with governments and same goes to private sectors. And I think given what we are as a company and as teams, we found uh, the most success working with similar, you know, fintechs with similar mentality, right? Like changing the challenging status quo and changing sort of the infrastructure the local markets. And we often found ourselves talking to fintechs like neobanks or marketplaces 
And we, you know, we found ourselves talking to Wallace and other kind of payment specific partners. So that's kind of like where we are getting most traction. And I think we're very open-minded in terms of who we work with. Besides just you guys are just projects in the whole space, you know, how do you think we get from that zero to one faster or more of that cold start to get more users on board, whatever we're building? We'll have to work on um, UX, UI and um, the front end stuff, which is, I think for the entire blockchain ecosystem, we can do better, but that kind of stuff usually comes last somehow. But I think a lot of times end users can be intimidated and scared away with very complex and, and clunky processes, right? You have to, if you have to spend an hour to set up your wallet to go and connect with the first DeFi protocol and then get your funds in and out in a week, right? Um, then right away you lose that end user. So I think it's it's really important to bear in mind to like put yourself in the shoes of an end user and think about what would be least resistant and the least intimidating way of trying out a very new and a very cutting edge um, product. I think that's what we need to focus on. So what are some things that over the next few years that you guys see, you know, you know, on the roadmap, what do you guys, what else are you trying to accomplish that you think is going to be a fit for the market? I think we're um, constantly in the state of trial and error. I think we, we're constantly seeking that validation and sometimes it's, a, it's negative validation, right? Saying that we tried very, very hard and we put this product in the hands of our clients and they tried it out. They said, no, thank you. Like we're not going to use it. And here's the reason A, B, and C. And then we would take that and, and we'll make a decision on the product side. I think we have to kind of uh, be very flexible. Currently, we're working very hard on, on payments, gateway, identity products. But I'm sure, you know, if you ask me a year from now, and we might have a, a different uh, thought, right? Like what, what's been put out there and proven useful and um, beneficial versus which products are just not, you know, maybe the too early for the markets or just not the, the right time for the right uh, audience. So I think we're, we keep very, um, the product roadmap very fluid in that way. And for everybody listening, what do you think is like, you know, for DeFi and a lot of these products, realistic timeframes in which things will actually occur and be mainstream with that good UI, UX? For just in general speaking? Yeah, general, because I think everyone's expectations are always tomorrow, right? <laughs> in crypto, right? Yeah. So how do you kind of foresee, let's say, you know, now through the 2030, you know, kind of, you know, what's happening in the market and how long it's taking for things to develop? Yeah, I think um, I was just reading about this interesting piece yesterday, um, how back in, you know, 1990s, it was so cool to have a, a portal, a website, right? Yahoo.com. And you go on, you can access different things and you can do different transactions and reading different kind of news. It's a, We're exactly in that phase right now, like every layer one, layer two, think that they are creating a, this portal, right? Gateway and a portal, where you can access all the amazing use cases and, and dApps. But um, ultimately, I think the sheer scale of the economy, the sheer scale of the blockchain applications and the economy will just take over and the mainstream will forget about which layer one that you're building your product, offering your products through. And I think we're not that far from that vision. We're not far from that reality. Very much, I think right now, maybe we're just getting out or we're still in the middle of the bear market, but it doesn't uh, slow down the development work. It doesn't slow down the research and, and product development. 
So it's it's super um, exciting to see we're we're keeping momentum and we're just plowing ahead. That's awesome. So anything else you want to leave off today with for the listeners about IOV Labs? Yeah, definitely. Uh, would love to invite the audience and everyone who's listening to the podcast to uh, join us on our Discord and putting your vote for our RSK rebrand um, rebranding exercise. Super important to hear from you all. Um, and just you know check out some of our projects. It's awesome. Thank you for coming on today, Pei. Thank you, Joe.